I started my pastoral ministry about 20 years ago as an assistant pastor of congregational care and counseling. One day I was making a hospital visit to an older lady and she let me know in no uncertain terms that while she appreciated my visit, she did not appreciate that my boss sent his deputy to visit her. She wanted the real deal, not a deputy. Moral of the story, a deputy doesn't carry as much weight as the one that he represents. So in today's text, we will learn that Jesus is greater and more worthy of our trust than any deputy. Luke chapter 11, and we'll read verses 29 through 32. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. People have always needed a sign to believe. People have always needed a sign to believe. Now the word sign, or its equivalent miracle, is translated as simeon in Greek, from which we get the English name Simeon. It occurs 13 times in Matthew, 7 times in Mark, 11 times in Luke, and 18 times in John. Nearly 55 times in the Gospels alone. Not to mention the epistles of Acts, the epistle of Acts, where it occurs another 30 times. People tend to be skeptical. People are skeptical. And skepticals, I'm sorry, skeptics will typically not believe religious truth just because you tell them. They need some sign that confirms or corroborates or authenticates what you're telling them. Getting people to believe the gospel these days is getting harder and harder. Do you agree? Very rarely will people believe that Jesus, whom we just sang about and whose name was mentioned in every song that we sang this, sang this morning, very few people will believe that Jesus was virgin born, as well as God's son, that he gave his life on a cross to save sinners, that God raised him from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he's coming back one day to judge the world. Unless they can see some sign with their own eyes, it all sounds like foolishness to them. They will not believe. Now, it was no different back in Jesus' day. The crowds that followed Jesus were increasing, but that didn't mean that they were believers. They were still skeptical. You see, numbers 
and not always a reliable indicator of ministry success. Having an increase in followers or attendees doesn't necessarily mean an increase in believers. But that doesn't mean that we don't need both in the church. Our church needs to experience quantitative increase. We need to see more attendees at our services each week. Because you see, there is vibrancy and there is excitement in numbers. We get a sense of accomplishment in seeing new faces that are among us weekly or monthly or annually. But our church also needs to experience qualitative increase or kingdom increase. We need new believers. Believers. We need to see more people place their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation and grow stronger in their faith and deeper in their faith as well. We must never stop praying that God will bless our church with both quantitative increase and qualitative increase. Now, those who attended district conference a few Saturdays ago were heartened to hear that professions of faith were up 35%. That is significant. From 851 to 1148, that's 1,148. The number of baptisms last year totaled 620, the highest number of baptisms since 2016. Amen. Amen indeed, Nathan. And 156 people testified to God's call to do ministry, the highest number reported in more than a decade. That is significant. And we say amen to that indeed. Now, maybe Keiko might know more about this than I do, but I'm told that um, an Asian bamboo tree, I've never really planted one, so I've, I've, I've just got to go with what I've heard. I understand that when you plant it, although you must water it and nurture it and fertilize it every day, nothing happens for the first year. That is a little bit depressing to me. Nothing <laughs> happens for the first year. And you do the same thing the following year, and still nothing happens. No results for four long years. But in the fifth year, you wake up one morning and you see a small bamboo sprig, and that it grows even bigger the next day, and in five weeks it has grown to 90 feet. That is significant. Now that's how it sometimes is in the church. You don't see anything for a while. You're praying and you're watering and you're asking God, God, grant us increase. And you don't see anything. But one day, God is going to give the increase. We need to continue to pray that God would bless our church with both quantitative as well as qualitative increase. So the crowds, were coming, the crowds that were coming to Jesus, they were increasing, but they were not all believing. Some came to where Jesus was, but they didn't really come to Jesus. You realize that there's a, there's a difference. It's, it's, it's one thing to come to where Jesus is. It's another thing to actually come to Jesus. Some came only for the bread and the fish. Their relationship with Jesus was purely transactional. In other words, Jesus, if you can do something for me, 
if you can feed me with bread and fish, then I will come. I will follow you. But if not, I won't. They were me-focused rather than Jesus-focused. They had one question for Jesus. Lord, what will you do for me? Not, Lord, what will you have me to do? But what will you do for me? Now, President JFK, John F. Kennedy, he wasn't around then, but I'm sure that he would have told them, ask not what the Lord can do for you, but ask what you might do for the Lord. I'm sure that he would have said that to them. <laughs> Some came only to be spectators. They got, a, they got a kick out of what they saw Jesus doing for others, not realizing that he could do the same thing for them as well. Now, there's a reason why the number of disciples is always fewer than the number of believers. Let me put that another way. I, I think I just tied myself up there. Let me correct myself. There's a reason why the number of disciples is always fewer than the number of spectators. Yes. I can count, my, count on my wife. I can count on my wife to bail me out of trouble any day. Boy, she is... <laughs> There's a reason why the number of disciples is always fewer than the number of spectators. Disciples get into the arena and they play the game. Spectators stay in the stands and they become experts at telling the disciples how to play the game. Now, I am, I am amazed sometimes. I, you know if you watch ESPN. I sometimes watch ESPN. And I guess you have these armchair experts, you know. They, they would tell you, well, he should have done this. So he should. Some of them have never played. And they are experts at saying how the players should play the game. So disciples get into the arena and they play. And spectators stay in the stands and they become experts at telling disciples how to play the game. That's fascinating. Disciples have skin in the game. Spectators stay from in the safety, or they save their skin by staying in the safety of the stands. Disciples play to the end, even when it seems that the game is not going their way. Spectators boo. That is so shameful. Spectators boo and pick up and leave the stands when the game, when the game seems to be not going their way. Jesus more, needs more disciples with skin in the game who will stay in it, not more spectators who will save their skin when the game is not going their way. And so some people came to Jesus only to be spectators. Some came for one reason only, to catch Jesus in a Freudian slip, to catch him with a slip of his tongue to catch him in something that he didn't intend to say or to watch him make a mistake, an unintentional mistake, so that they might have leverage against him. I hope that there are not those of you who come to church just to hear the pastor slip or make a mistake that you can use as leverage against him. I hope that is not the case at all. So there is sometimes an increase in the number of people coming to Jesus, but this doesn't always translate into an increase in the number of, number of people coming to Jesus. They come to where Jesus is, but that doesn't mean that they come to Jesus. 
Some people come, but they hold, on, they hold out on believing in Jesus until they can see some sign. They want to see something happen, something dramatic before they can believe. So what about the testimonies that people have already given about Jesus being the Son of God? And aren't those enough? Aren't people's testimonies enough to convince people of who Jesus was? What about Peter's testimony? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wasn't that enough? And what about the woman who Jesus freed from her lifestyle of adultery? What about her plea to the people in her neighborhood? Come see a man who has told me everything that I've ever done. Isn't this the Christ? Wasn't that testimony enough? What about the blind man whose eyes Jesus opened? What about his testimony? The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. What about that testimony? Isn't that enough? And what about the miracles that Jesus performed? Aren't they enough? Isn't it enough that he turned water into wine? That he walked on water? That he healed the sick? That he made the paralyzed to walk? That he opened the eyes of blind people? That he raised Lazarus from the dead and granted forgiveness to all those who came to him for it? Isn't that enough? People tend to believe only when they see some greater sign like the heavens open. We have always needed a sign. But here's the second point. Although the sign has already been given, people still won't believe. So they need a sign. A sign has already been given, and still people won't believe. This is what Jesus goes on to say. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation, and condemned them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they, re for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now why does Jesus call this generation evil? He calls them evil because he knows their hearts have become so hard that they will not believe even if they saw a miraculous sign happen. Now take, for example, the story that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus. Both of them died. One went to Abraham's bosom and the other went to the torment of hell's fires. The rich man pleaded with Abraham to send somebody to warn his relatives on earth to repent so that they won't be tormented in the flames of hell as he was being tormented. This is what he says. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Because you see, Father Abraham had said to them, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Let, let him listen to them. And this man is saying, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Jesus said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It is not a sign that people need. It is faith that they need. It's not a sign. A sign has already been given. What they need is faith. 
And so Jesus points out three signs in this passage that had already been given, and still people would choose not to believe. Sign number one. Now, Jonah was the prophet, as you all know from, from you were small. We heard this in Sunday school. Jonah was the prophet who ran in the opposite direction from God because God had called him to go to Nineveh and preach a message of repentance. So he ran in disobedience from God. And so because of his disobedience, God commanded a whale to swallow Jonah whole. Now what we know less of is that after Jonah repented while he was still in the belly of the whale, after he repented of his disobedience and his sin, God allowed the whale to vomit Jonah alive on dry land. And then what he did after that is that he traveled for three days throughout the length and breadth of Nineveh and he preached a one-line sermon. Now, my, my sermons are more than one line. <laughs> you know, I wish, I wish I could preach a one-line sermon as Jonah did and, and just see repentance and revival happen. He preached a sermon that was only one line. Repent of your sins and turn to God or he will completely destroy you within 40 days. That was his message. And the Bible tells us that they humbled themselves before God. Computer is doing some funny things here. They humbled themselves before God and they repented from the king to the least of them. Every, as we, as we would say back home, every tut, moon, and sand. That means everybody. Your whole city. From the least, from the greatest, all the way down to the least. And this is what the Bible tells us. The word reached the king of Nineveh. So in other words, he heard Jonah's message. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the, this was his proclamation. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. That is the kind of clothing that you put on when you were mourning for your sin. Let, him be covered, let them be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. One line sermon. In 40 days, God will destroy Nineveh if you don't repent. And that one line sermon caused an entire city to humble themselves before God and repent. Now preach that in today's culture and they will laugh you in the face. So what we need is not another sign. What we need is faith in the one who is greater than Jonah. The second sign is a sign of the queen of the south. We know her as the queen of Sheba. She was a pagan queen. She traveled hundreds of miles to hear the wisdom and the teachings of Solomon. And when she had finished listening, listening to him, this was the statement of belief that she made. 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 6 through 7. The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until 
The note is careful. Notice the word until. I didn't believe before, but now I believe. Until my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I'd heard. So she believed in the teachings of Solomon. So in these two examples that Jesus is providing, preaching and teaching are the signs. Preaching and teaching. All people need to do is believe in the one that is greater than Solomon. Sign number three, the people of Nineveh. We touched on it a little earlier. They were so wicked that God had decreed that he would exterminate them. If they didn't repent, he was going to just destroy them. But they heard Jonah's message, heard the sermon that he preached, and they repented in humility before God. We don't need another sign. What we need is faith in the one who is greater than, than Jonah. Greater than Solomon. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing, which is the preaching or teaching of God's word. And to demonstrate that faith, we turn to God in repentance. This is the bottom line of our message this morning, that Jesus is the sign that we have been looking for, and he's already here. He's here. So then, since Jesus is the sign, and since he's here, I want to challenge you this morning to become a disciple. Become a disciple. Jesus is the greater one. We sang about that this morning. He's the greater one, and he has come. He is here. He's greater than any other. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than any of the prophets. He's greater than any religion or creed. The Bible tells us that there's no greater name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. You become a disciple when you come to him, not just to where he is, but when you come to him who died for you and you say to him, Jesus, I give all that I am to you so that I may receive all that you have and all that you are. I wonder if there's somebody here this morning who wants to tell Jesus, I am tired of just being a spectator. I now want to be a disciple. I wonder if there's somebody who's willing to leave the safety of the stands and to get in the game and play for Jesus. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not even going to ask anybody to raise your hands. I'm just going to ask you to pray right where you are. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I repent of my sins today and I receive Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. From this day on, I will be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you want to let me know that you prayed it, just go ahead and let me see your hand. Amen. Thank you. I see that hand. Lord, for that hand that was raised, I thank you. We thank you. We celebrate that that person is now a disciple follower of Jesus. 
And God, we pray that you would cement in his heart the work that you have done. Help him to grow in his faith that he would never look back, but to keep going forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Secondly, I want to challenge us to pray for kingdom growth. Pray for kingdom growth. Now, a question came into my mind last week as I was preparing this message. It's a question that the prophet Jeremiah asked way back in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 12. He asked it as people were passing him by, unconcerned about the plight and the suffering that he was in. Here's the question. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? In other words, people were passing, by, passing him by. He was in obvious discomfort and suffering. It's like maybe being stalled on the road, as we saw some people yesterday as we were driving. And the traffic is just passing them by. I want to borrow that verse today to ask all of us this question. Is it nothing to you, all you Christians who pass by, unconcerned about whether the attendees in your church increase or decrease, whether believers are added to your church or not, whether people are growing in their faith or not? Is it nothing to you? Will you join me in praying continually for kingdom increase in our church? Will you join me in doing that? And I thank you for all agreeing that you will. Here's our third and final application point this morning. Exercise your faith in Jesus. Exercise. Faith has to be exercised or it is no faith. It won't grow. You have to exercise it. Faith must stretch you. Is anyone more worthy of your trust than Jesus? Aren't his words true? Does any of his promises ever fail? Does he ever sleep or slumber? Aren't his mercies new every morning? Will he ever leave you or forsake you? Isn't his grace Sufficient? Isn't his power made perfect in your weakness? Does his love for you ever end? Can anybody ever separate you from it? Isn't his reward sure? Isn't he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Isn't it true that he always was, always is, and always will be? Does he ever lose any that the Father has entrusted to him? Does he forgive the sinner, save the lost, heal the sick, restore the strays, provide for the needy, help the helpless, mend the broken, comfort the grieving, and lift up the fallen? Will you trust him then? Will you allow your faith in him to be stretched, whatever your circumstance? He is greater than any other. He is here. And he's worthy of our trust. Let us pray together. Jesus, we are so grateful that you are greater than anything that we face.
And God, we do face things in our lives. You did say in your words that in this life, we would have trouble. But you said we should be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. You are greater. Greater is the one who is in us than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is for us than he who is against us. God, stretch our faith so that we can believe you even when things are against us, even when we see no sign whatsoever of your deliverance. Help us still to be like those three Hebrew men who said, even if he doesn't deliver us, yet we will trust him. Lord, that is the kind of radical faith that I need and your people need. So stretch our faith today. Help us to believe you for the impossible, to believe you for kingdom increase, to believe you for our health, to believe you for our finances, for our businesses, to believe you regardless of what is against us. Strengthen our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.